This is episode 76 of the Rising Man podcast with Rainier Wild, taking a walk on the wild side. Blessings, Rising Man family, and a very warm welcome back to the Rising Man podcast. If you don't know by now, I am your host and the creator of this show, Jetty Azuma, and I'm here with another red hot interview for y'all today. Before I introduce this week's guest, I'm going to issue a special invitation for all my fellows out there. Those of you men who are craving connection with other brothers on the path, men who are willing to take a look at themselves deeply, to call you on your bullshit, and to support one another through the triumphs and challenges of life, join us in the Rising Man Fire Circle. We've got our virtual men's circle calls twice a month, a private Facebook group, direct support and connection with me and my power team, as well as connection with over 15 men from all over the world at this point. Please sign up to be a patron of the Rising Man podcast and join us inside the Fire Circle. Head over to Patreon dot com slash rising man that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash rising man this will grant you access to our private circle of brothers your chance to both support the podcast and get the support you need in your life so don't hesitate sign up today all right introducing my guest for today rainier wild is a men's wholeness guide a spiritual teacher and a group facilitator he holds a master's degree in psychology and has been extensively trained in Eastern mindfulness, Western contemplative practice, and the art of Socratic questioning. He spent thousands of hours professionally interacting with individuals in all different stages of life, from spiritual seekers wanting training and being present, to men scrambling to get their lives pieced back together, from businessmen craving to have keys to success to world-weary travelers trying to find healing and hope. His passion for new tribes, strong individuals, and spiritual connection is what drives him. He and his wife live with their four children and two dogs in the Cascades bioregion. In this episode, we talked about differentiating between where boys and men go for support and validation, how as boys, we tend to seek the nurturing of the feminine, and as men, we retreat into a masculine space to get this part of ourselves filled. We talked about how we can relate on a masculine level, the value of wrestling each other and getting physical with each other and starting that conversation and why so many of us have strayed away from that over the years, including rewriting the myth that a man in his masculine power will hurt others. Interesting. We talked about reinvigorating old tribal practices into new communal archetypes to support our families and establish a future for our children. Talked about how we can raise boys without training the wildness out of them. You guys know that's such a big thing for me with my boy. And lastly, remembering our humanity and humility as fathers because nobody's perfect. Nobody is a perfect parent. Nobody is a perfect human being. Without further ado, Rainier Wild. All right, Rising Man family, I've got a special guest today and also a really cool conversation that we're about to have. I'm excited for it. My brother, my newfound brother, Rainier Wild, joining us in from uh, Portland, Portland, Oregon. How you doing, bro? Doing pretty good. I'm excited to be here on your podcast. Yes, sir, man. With with a last name like Wild, we must be talking about wildness. We have to. That's right. <laughs> it's, it's inescapable. It's inescapable. Awesome, man. Well, thank you for being on here today. I'm really excited to tap into your perspective on a number of things that are really near and dear to my heart. But before we jump into that, let me ask you, what is the difference between a boy and a man? Mm. I think with boys in particular in traditional cultures, which I like to look at uh, so many of our 
topics that we explore today through that ancestral lens. But when I look at traditional cultures, one of the things I'm so aware of is that men were not born, they were made. Mm-hmm. And there is something artificial to that process of formation from boyhood to manhood. First of all, it's not done in isolation. Mm-hmm. Boys do not become men as lone wolves. They are always indoctrinated from their pack. And there's kind of a brainwashing that takes place. And I think what happens, and, and here it gets to the answer to your question, the difference between boyhood and manhood a boy, particularly growing up in those cultures, would cleave to that soft and nurturing world of the divine feminine. He would feel connected and his needs were met. He was tended to and cared for and entitled, which is wonderful. But if you let that boy grow up and become a man unchallenged in those ways, he simply is a consumer and a drain on the tribe's energies. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that manhood represents is production. A man is a producer. A man is a maker and a doer. A man is someone who is willing and able to not only play the passive recipient role, but the active instigating role. And that is always one of the tribal definitions of manhood. So I think we could just start Mm. there. (laughs) Yeah, man. Amazingly articulated. I I really like that answer, especially the piece about men are made. It doesn't just happen by accident. If you put a man in isolation, I, I think there's a combination of the fires the circumstances of life, those natural fires that forge us into the men we become. But then there's also the responsibility of us as a people to raise our men mm-hmm. from boyhood, to raise our boys into men. And I think it's very clear at this point, in fact, we talked about it so much so that it's actually, I think it's accepted by everybody that we've failed a lot of our, our, a lot of our boys and men because we haven't given them challenges. We haven't given them initiation into the rigors of life that prepares them in a way to take on the world. That's so, right. So just, just starting from that place, I think is it, it's, it's like, okay, yes. And now what? Yeah. Right. I mean, to me, like when we think about, about that, it, it kind of creates simultaneously an excitement in me, but also a discouragement because I look at the world of this relationship between the sexes right now and, and, and then just the world of men in general. And I see what I've now started to call like this vampiric maleness. Hmm. Uh, And so like vampiric masculinity for me is kind of a pseudo form of masculinity. It's, it's an uninitiated man Mm -hmm. in the tribal and classical sense who is still draining and drawing on the energy of the feminine to get his strength. Mm. So when something happens, his first phone call is to his girlfriend or to his mom or to his female best friend, right? He, he needs them to, to support him and be empathetic and walk him through these hard times. What's going or even a bro- or even another man who has a very feminine exactly. quality. Yes, to him. that's like right. Who, someone who wants to just hear you in your misery and and pat your back and say, "Oh, it's okay. Just Turn accept me. Right. Just accept me." Right. Yeah. And it, yeah, yeah, it feels yeah. so good. I mean, I've been there a thousand times. I totally get it. And to me, that is a kind of vampiricism. Right. It's just mm-hmm. draining the energy out of the feminine force. And mm-hmm. 
And I, I don't get behind that. I, I think that that the masculine is able to hold that that difficult place without drinking and draining from the feminine. Yeah, man. And that, that reminds me of one of the things that I say is that everybody wants to be the king or everybody wants to wear the crown, but not everybody really wants to be the king because mm. it's, it's this mantle of, ah, I've reached manhood. I am a man. I look like a man. I have responsibilities like a man. But when it comes down to really, you know, put the ax to the stone, like you got to, you got, there's some, it's not easy. It's not easy to be a man out here, especially in this day and age, especially trying to carve out our piece of the world and give back to it is a, is a daunting task. And I think a lot of us, myself included, and I, I always include myself in this conversation because that's where I discovered this was just how difficult and unprepared I felt for the world I received when I was in my twenties, mm. coming out of college Come in with a vo- with a vocation, with a good education that prepared me for a world, but not the world that I found. Yeah. Well, I think that there's always this attempt for men to find themselves. And one of the places men land, I think, in relationship to all this is the altar of the goddess, right? Mm-hmm. And I think this, this sacred cultural motif comes in a lot of forms. But I think as a boy, it looks like being mommy's good little helper or her little man. And we received a ton of direct reinforcement for that, for being her shoulder to cry on, her person to count on, her arm to hold. And this is such an interesting relationship. Psychologists actually talk about it as covert incest, which I think is really interesting. Fascinating. Yeah. And as, as shocking as that sounds, I think a large percentage of the men I interact with, and certainly my own background, kind of plays that out. And absentee fathers create that void in which a boy is invited to fill and and rewarded with affection. So we learn that the payoff is tending to the feminine, right? Mm -hmm. And having the feminine tend to us and our needs. And so many men kind of grow up and they become those great white knight rescuers, right? In, In my own life, I became a therapist. So what better way to continue being mommy's little man, <laughs> my mom's confidant, you know, like I can actually recall one really early counseling supervisor telling me I was a natural and the awkward <laughs> truth was it was natural to me because I had been doing it my whole life. You know, it's like I had been my right. mom's therapist up to that point. So let me ask, let me ask you about that because I think that's something that a lot of us men can relate to myself, especially is being that natural, the, the one who always saved the day and was always looking for a woman to save, even if it wasn't in relationship, just as even as my friends, I remember always looking for a woman to rescue. Mm. It's kind of like a really, and it's illuminating a lot of what you're saying is helping me see that. What, what did you experience when you realized that, oh, I am a natural because that's what I've been taught. And is that all I'm really capable of? So that, that was, that was part of my experience. I'm interested in how it landed for you. Yeah. Well, I think that one of the things that happened for me was that that role no longer fit, (laughs) that there was a shadow side to that role. Again, I take it back to this mythological culture, right? And I can see almost, you know, in ancient Greece, there's the god Bacchus, who was identified with fertility cults of the great mother. And, you know, he was kind of known for this very sensuous way of living. And he kind of was just screwing his way through life and his followers, very orgiastic, but his devotion was to the mother. And so what I think is really interesting is a lot of men who experience this helper, very progressive, very cued in, tender side, are also closet closet predatory and abusers of women's attention, hmm. which is a really interesting side of things. 
many, many sexual addicts who I've interacted with across the years. And by the way, that's something that I've struggled with in my life Mm -hmm. is this addiction to sexuality. And one of the things that's interesting about it when I hear so many men talk is that they felt like they were women's great gift. (laughs) They were like, (laughs) oh yeah, women loved it. I was their shoulder to cry on. The same language, right? So eventually you hit this point where you realize, okay, that may be good. But there's a shadow side. The cost is too high. I've got to do something Mm. about this. I've got to clarify my energy. That's what it was Mm. for me. For me, I was like, Mm. okay, I keep on playing through this loop where the rewards are way diminished by the risks. It's no longer serving Mm. me. And I think for so many men, I had this one moment. This This is kind of silly, but I had this toothache for like a solid two years that I was able to ignore. And eventually I was lying on the couch moaning. I had like seven Tylenol in my system and ibuprofen. And I I actually remember I had this rag stuffed in my jaw and I was kind of like drooling, you know, just out of the side of my mouth, like saliva drooling down. And my wife was like, you have to go to the dentist. I'm done. Go, you know? And I think sometimes that's, that's how life works that we receive a powerful form of feedback that comes from others. And what they're saying is what you're doing isn't working anymore. You've ignored this. You've minimized this. You've, you've neglected this. And now you're going to have to deal with this. So for me, as well as for so many other men, initiation came not in the form of conscious initiation, but a shadow initiation, right? Where my shadows suddenly came out and they were now bigger than I had ever imagined. Mm. Yeah, and I can relate to that as well in my own experience when it was when it was first illuminated to me because I, I agree with you, man. I thought I was being of service to mm-hmm. to women in the way I was showing up, and and very, as you said, uh, covertly craving the attention and the validation that I was getting. And I think that that's also a very common thing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I sat in a men's circle about at this point almost ten years ago where. I heard men talking about seeking validation from women. I heard men talking about the over-feminization of men. And I was like, oh my God, they're talking about me. And I felt very exposed and very ashamed of that because I was in the company of men who were twice my age who I was like, oh, they've got it figured out. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was sold out. I got sold down the river because nobody taught me this stuff. And this, you know, that, that, was, that was initially how it was for me. I was in my mid-20s. And I was like, where the fuck did you guys learn this stuff? Because... I, that's not what I got. Uh, this is this is all brand new to me. I felt like I was, you know, a pre, coming to appreciate an entirely different world. And obviously, over the years, I've come to see that parts of that are awesome. They're not they're not a bad thing. Yeah. It's like you said. It's 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 if it's just one way of survival that we keep utilizing, one strategy we keep utilizing that gets overworked and overused and abused. That's when it becomes problematic. So balancing that with some of this more inherent masculine energy, you know, self-directedness, clarity, decisiveness has helped to balance that part of me out because I realized that I don't want to just surrender all of that. My, my ability to be empathic really helps me in my relationship with my wife. You know, I think that for me, so much of that realization came in the form of incorporating uh, balance on both sides, but I had to actually relearn those masculine qualities in a way that I never had before. And that's why I think when you look at those traditional initiations, that's exactly what happened for a boy. A boy had to be re-brainwashed, so to speak, and learn the stories of the cult of the masculine, 
learn their cosmology, learn their way of being in the world, and learn the skills that we're actually going to apply to the tribe. In my own life, I didn't know any of those things. I didn't. I only knew one way of being in the world. And so the first time I ever had, you know, bullshit called on me by another man Mm -hmm. was so alarming. In my own tribal experience, we do a lot of grappling and, and boxing, fighting. And one of the things is if there's a disagreement between men, we take it to the mats. Now, our, our goal is not to hurt each other and get each other into submission. Actually, it's just to get us into relationship with each other and get our bodies to start doing the talking. But one particular man was so offended by that, that he left. He couldn't handle it. He was terrified, oddly, not of being hurt, but of hurting the other man. And I think that's one of the myths that men have been told, that if I'm my authentic self and I show up in a way that is forceful and powerful and commanding, that I'll actually lay waste to everyone in front of me. I'll hurt them. And so I have to quarantine myself away from other men. So these are some of the lessons that I had to learn as well. Probably you did too. <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah. And I've, and I've spoken about it on here before. So I'll just allude to it briefly that that was, so I'm, I'm, I remember clearly when I was 16 years old, I had my first argument with my real first real girlfriend. And it sent me into one of those, you know, pubescent teenager rages where my hormones were flaring. And I just felt like I wanted to destroy something. I wanted to break shit. And there wasn't anybody there to help me understand or direct or guide that energy. I, intuitively, I went out and just ran for like an hour straight, just sprinting around the track, listening to music. And it it helped me to expel that energy. But the look in my my mom's eyes when she saw me kind of going into this fit of rage and mm. my dad telling me to just calm down because he didn't really know what to do with me either. It gave me the impression that, oh, this is dangerous for people. Mm. My, my closest, the people that I trust and depend on most in this life can't handle it. That's right. Therefore, the world can't handle it. And so I agree with you completely. In fact, I, I'm checking in with my body right now. I know that there's a part of me that's like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm afraid to go to those places because I don't know what will happen. Mm-hmm. And I think it's actually important that we do go to those places in the right context, in the right environment, so that we know what would happen. <laughs> so that we know yeah. what happens when we allow that. And when another man is willing to receive that, we can mash horns against each other because it's something that we do instinctually and anytime that we suppress our instincts, we lose a part of ourselves. Yeah. And that's the most alarming thing to me at this point. Yeah, it's so interesting how fragile male egos can be if they haven't actually allowed themselves to confront that space. Mm-hmm. You know, we we want to be respected far more than we actually want to be in relationships sometimes, especially if we're an uninitiated male, mm-hmm. right? So I had a boss who I remember there was this one moment where I called him an asshole. Now we were actually friends is what's funny. So I thought we were bantering back and forth. Turns out not bantering. I got fired the next day. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, like I kind of get it. And there's a part of me that goes, oh, he wanted respect. He didn't want a relationship. And I think that uh-huh. that is a very common thing for men who are on the other side of not being in tribe. Well, let's talk about that a little bit more because that's a fascinating piece. I've had similar experiences where I've brought I've brought some of my men's team, my men's circle, bantering lingo into into my other mat, you know, man-to-man relationships and I've had some guys really take offense to it mm-hmm. and not understand it and either not have the context for it or mis- misinterpret my intention mm-hmm. and in some cases hold on to it for a long time without saying anything because they're afraid of like what would happen? So, so let's let's just let's just break bust this open for a minute because I think this will be 
really valuable for a lot of guys to hear. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? I mean, how, how do you translate from one space to the other? And actually this is something that from the beginning with the tribe of men that I helped start here, I was, I tried to be really explicit about, I said, this is a practice space. How you show up in here is how how you are going to begin to show up in the rest of your life. So try on the kind of man in this community that you wish to be outside of this community. Mm -hmm. Because we really have to change in all relevant areas of our life if we're going to change at all. So Mm -hmm. I think like setting one of the worst ideas in the world is setting up a container that we can't actually apply Mm -hmm. in all of our life. So I think that's kind of a little intimidating for men to learn that they can actually, you know, be aggressive in appropriate ways. They can be confrontational in appropriate ways. They can carry power and gold and confront their shadow together with men and then not be able to take that into the rest of culture. Mm-hmm. It's kind of scary. It, it is scary. And I also think that there is a safety element to it. And if we're, if we're thinking of higher purpose, really being of service to our families, our communities, mm. majority of people out there cannot and may never be able to, to hold that level of honesty, mm-hmm. yeah. like a real honest expression. And to me, I, that's also what makes the mantle of manhood, this type of manhood that we're talking about even more, even heavier mm. is that we have to look out for who can really handle this level of truth. Yeah, I, I find that that's hard for me, and it, sometimes it slips into my relationship with my wife, and I have to remember, oh shit, I'm not, I'm not in my men's circle right now. She's not really asking for this level of truth from me. Yeah, that's actually a really good point, right? Because sometimes, like, I can start talking to my my partner about, you know, I don't know, just even like a dirty joke, and she'll be like, dude, dude this isn't the locker room and I'm not one of your bros. You need to stop. Right. Like if you, you yeah. call your bros on the phone and get this out, that's cool. I'm not that person. So uh-huh. it, it, I, I, I like what you're saying because there is this aspect of practice space, but then there is also this aspect of a safe container or even an unsafe container, right? Where you can explore these unsafe things in ways where they get resolved and you can leave them there. Yeah. Yeah, and this and what I'm about to say here might actually direct us back into this conversation of wildness because we I believe we were given high levels of sensitivity. And when I say sensitivity, I'm talking about just sensation, sensory ability for a reason. And that because we don't have to use our senses in the in the traditional instinctual way of being out in the woods and foraging for food, sensing da- sensing real danger and threats to our lives and responding, that We've created all of these emotional clusterfucks to to access and, and train those senses. And perhaps if we were put into different circumstances and our lives were designed a little bit differently, then there wouldn't be as much room for that emotional strife that so many people feel. I, you know, I think that there's other animals that experience depression, but no more not even close in comparison to domesticated creatures who don't actually have to use their senses in the way that they were intended for. Yeah, that's, so, this is a great point. And it's actually something I'm super passionate about. You, you and I, like we have all of these points of resonance. I really love it so much. One of the things that when you look at the human animal, Homo sapiens sapiens, as we've existed historically, is what the great uh, social and psychological and developmental theorist Mary Ainsworth calls, we established environments of evolutionary adaptivity, basically villages, 
right? Villages where we adapted. Well, adapted what? The truth is that Homo sapiens sapiens have a few remarkable characteristics, and one of them is our almost limitless capacity for emotional intuition and, and the sensing states that you just described. Mm-hmm. We're, our capacity for it is so finely tuned. Mm-hmm. We really are a Ferrari of emotional capacity. I mean, just hot-wired for, for running, but, but the deal is, it's not actually very good for our being to be revved that high all the time. Yep. So what we developed were these village-like states, these tribal experiences of almost constant physical contact for the first several years where an infant's cry was met within 15 seconds up to the age of about five years old. There was high responsibility put on infants and children. And then they were inducted into a mature way of living very, very early on with all the rights and responsibilities. So these these things came together to form a child in such a way where their emotions were more regulated. So one of the things that's really interesting about looking at hunter-gatherer societies, even that exist today, and they're they're dying out all over the world, but but even as they still exist today, far more emotionally regulated than us. Mm-hmm. They experience happiness, sadness, fear, but you know what they don't really seem to experience? They don't really seem to experience depression, anxiety, dread, despair, (laughs) Mm -hmm. rage, these intense, highly unregulated emotions that our modern society does. Right. I think it's also a question of duration too, when you compare hunter-gatherer to modern societies is that I I think that, and I don't know because I've never spent time with these people, but they probably experience the full spectrum of emotions just for much shorter durations. They come and they go. Like, like how things actually happen in the wild on the African savanna. The, the Impala experiences terror of being chased by a fucking lion and then, you know, kind of whoo, shakes it out. And it's like, okay, back to, back to life is what's going on out here. Whereas we, we hold on to these things so long. They, they live within us and continue and perpetuate. Yeah, actually a great example of what you're saying is grief, right? And so if you mm-hmm. think about it, I'm sure that people have seen a National Geographic special showing a, a tribe grieve for the loss of someone. It's a very physical thing. Like you'll see shaking bodies and moaning and wailing. Mm-hmm. But you know what's up after that? It's done. Yep. What you're not hearing three years later is the woman who can't get out of bed because her son died three years ago. Right. Because that's super sad. It is. But you know what? Despair is really not allowed in a tribal context. Like if you're Mm -hmm. unconsolable, actually, it's very difficult for the other members of the tribe. So they figured out ways to Mm -hmm. process their emotions very, very fast, Mm -hmm. very intensely, and then be done with them, Mm -hmm. which is great. I mean, and all of that's done in a tribal context. Yeah, man. Well, this is great because it it circles all the way back to the solution. What is the solution of it all? And I think that even some of those societies that aren't quite the the Bushmen or the Aboriginal peoples that are living in you know ancient ways, so to speak, you know, in a modern time, compared to the modern man who hunts at the grocery store. <laughs> Somewhere in between, there's these tribal cultures that are existing in between those two worlds. And I think of the Maori people. Yeah, um, I have a few brothers who, who are Maori descendants. And anytime a man sees the haka, he knows, oh, that is a, that is a way. Even if that's not my people, that is a way of expressing and, and putting that energy, raising that energy, putting it out and equalizing, normalizing, recalibrating myself. And I think ceremonial ways or ritualistic ways of expressing that energy, raising that energy, sharing that experience as a people, and then coming back to center ha- is is one of the solutions for how we can 
navigate past this. Yeah. And I'm, I'm super interested in more than just men's work, but for me, it really does begin with men's work because I think there's something very, very important about the place of a man in the society today. And as a man, of course, I, I think that, Mm -hmm. but, but one of the aspects for me that I love that you just said was ritual ceremonial. And so that's why, like when I'm, when I'm forming tribes, when I'm helping men consider tribes, what I want to inspire them to is not put together a masturbatory emotion circle Mm -hmm. where we're just doing, you know, like a lot of emoting, a lot of motion, not much movement, right? Instead, Mm -hmm. I want to help men form ritual gatherings, a ritual men's gathering where they anchor themselves into the world that they can taste and see and touch and hold and handle. And that's more besides and do that with these rituals that anchor them to not just Mm -hmm. them, but the other men around them and their ancestral roots and wisdom. Mm-hmm. And so by doing this, we actually reconnect. We, we continue to progress, we evolve, but then we connect with this undomesticated part, this wild part too, which evolving wild, that's kind of my whole thing. Yeah. Well, I love it, man. And you know, by the time this episode comes out, I can say it now, we'll have already announced that on September 7th, we're bringing in one of my bros from Australia. He's going to actually lead and facilitate a, a gathering of men to learn how to do the haka and to perform it together. And so awesome. we're, we're thinking of it as a cross-cultural exchange for men's healing because how every single man sees that and, and wants a piece of that for themselves. And I agree with you that whether we're learning and revitalizing some of these older rituals, even if they're not from our own people, right. if, even if we're just honoring where they came from and, and using them as instruments and with all the due respect and honor, or creating new rituals, new, because there's grief ceremonies, there's yeah. you know all, all different ways that we can experience the emotion as a people and then move past it. Think is is are, are is going to be the next thing that we see here because, totally. like you said, you know, in, in this space, you can only talk about it so much. You can listen to a podcast. You can only listen to so many episodes before you're like, all right, I've gotten everything that Jetty and Rainier can offer me. Now what? <laughs> totally right. What's next? So I think that's what's what's really there for the rest of us. I hope they get there. I mean, because that's the thing. It's like if you're still listening to Jetty and Rainier, you know, in ten years, we've done something wrong, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're just not doing anything, like the whole point, I think of this is going out acquiring the skills, taking the steps, making the leap, building tribe, finding identity, discovering purpose, right? And reclaiming mm-hmm. that sense of your undomesticated wild self. Yeah, man. And that's that's been my journey. And like we always say, we give from our own experience. And that's what I've identified is I, I want to create opportunities for men to claim, reclaim that for themselves. And not just men, but the men who are or will become fathers mm. because, hey, if we're not passing the culture that we care about onto our kids, especially our boys, then mm. we're missing the point where we're creating di- a- another interruption in the cycle. So what does that bring up for you? Because I'm sure you probably see it the same way. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking about, you know, as a as a father and and this is something I don't, I don't know, I maybe I don't talk about a ton, but my oldest son is 14 years old. And then I have a 12 and a half year old son. And then I have a, I have a six year old son as well. And their journeys are so interesting and just like mind blowing. They're each individuals, but they're also encountering this life, this culture, this way of being in, in ways that are also pretty congruent with what so many other men are, especially my oldest two sons who are now in middle school. And my oldest is going to high school next year. And, they actually have this sense, which I haven't 
given them, but this sense of it's a little dangerous to be a boy right now. Um, Mm. They kind of have this idea that, oh, there's kind of a fearfulness in them to say some of the things they think or, or just to be discounted as another male, right? They have this like budding sense of injustice. And I'm interested to see how that plays out for them. But I think more than anything, what I try and loop them in on and connect them to is, well, who are you? Let's move beyond whatever the perceived injustice is. Like, what are you building here? What are you actually producing and making in the world? Because that's the real task of manhood. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a part of what it kind of brings up for me is like, oh my gosh. Yeah, it is about passing on these truths to our boys, and maintaining that sense of wildness for them. Yeah. Uh, and I told you before we started recording here, and I've definitely mentioned it on here before, that I'm raising a bona fide wild man. Like he's, <laughs> he's three and a half years old. He'll be four in September. And he begs me to stoke his wildfire, to to be there with him, to meet him on that level. So in one respect, he's asking for guidance from me. And in another respect, he's teaching me as I relearn and reclaim my own wildness because that's certainly not the way that I was raised. Yeah. I, was, I was raised in a very formal, very traditional way, going to school, get a job, get a degree, be a good little boy, get good grades and check all the boxes and then, you know, pay your rent and get a mortgage someday, you know? So now that certainly was not the path that I was meant for. Otherwise, I'd still be doing it. At some point that the I cracked myself out of the matrix enough to to do what you said to see what am I creating, what am I building in my life, and I think that the opportunity is having that context for how we view our our young the young men, the boys in our society, whether even if it's not your own son or if it's your little nephew or just the boy next door, starting to look at these boys as individuals who have a unique purpose, who have a unique fire that needs to be tended in a very specific way. And they don't know how to do it until we help them to discover it. Yeah. And I think what comes up for me around that is as we ourselves evolve, we open up new skills as fathers, right? And I can remember probably 13 years ago, 12 years ago, my oldest son would have been about two years old. I was I was just, I think I had finished my undergrad degree and was just starting my, my grad school. And I was going through a divorce uh, at that time. And it was just a very, very painful time. I, I don't think I understood children. I certainly didn't understand myself, certainly not as a father. And I remember this moment, and this was a beginning of realizing I needed to really confront some stuff in my life. But I remember this moment where my two-year-old was crying and looking back on it, of course he was crying, right? There's just things and two-year-olds, they they do this sometimes, but it was more than I could emotionally handle. I didn't have the capacity for it. I didn't understand it. And I remember holding him up towards the ceiling, just holding them. And I'm kind of like rage yelling at him Mm -hmm. in my memory, at least. And And he looks at me and he starts crying all the more. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, dad, I'm just having a hard time. And like, I still think back on that. I'm like tearing up right now because like the truth is that that broke me because my reflection to him was I'm having a hard time too. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. And so sometimes, particularly as we're unlearning that domestication, as we're rewilding ourselves, sometimes we're learning right alongside our kids how to be wild. Like 
they're wild and trying to retain that. And, and we're trying to unlearn our domestication right at the same time. Yeah, man. And you, you definitely hit, I've tugged on my heartstrings with that one too. I have almost the exact identical story and it's, it feels even a little bit heavier for me because it's not so far in my past. I mean, my, my son's only three and a half and he's, he's gone through that period. He's still going through that period of like having a hard time being an, an emotional being and, and, and trying to figure out how the world will receive that. Cause even though he's only three and a half years old, he, I can already see that he's received messages of he's the bad kid for being wild he is, you know, the troublemaker, the disturbance in the peace. And, and, and not all of it is coming from outside. Some of it within our own home. When, my, when my, myself and my wife, when we don't catch ourselves in our humanness, you know, mm-hmm. we, 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 I, I'll speak for myself. I default to management instead of mentorship of my son, uh, you know, wow. trying to manage him. And that's, and that's a real shameful place, especially being the, you know, being the guy with the podcast for men and talking about all this stuff. It's like, fuck man, I, I still go to that place. And so it's, it's really vulnerable mm-hmm. and it's really important that we're, that I'm glad you open up that space that we're, ex, we're expressing this because we are at this interesting crossroads in humanity where we're trying to reclaim something that's so instinctual and unlearn something that's so unnatural. And it's, it's, I'm finding it to be a bigger gap than I expected. I thought I would just go buy a cabin in the woods and it'd be all good. <laughs> I know. And you know, it's so funny. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking like, and I, I love that you said that it's a lot more recent for you. Cause you know, I got, I can point to like 12 years ago. I can also point to like 12 minutes ago. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, my, my youngest son is whistling. God damn it. Stop whistling. Who whistles, you know, in the middle of the day or whatever it is. And it's like, okay, that was just his way of showing up in the world. In that moment, that was his way of imitating the birds outside, expressing that melody in his heart and how quickly mm-hmm. my Uber focused masculine presence wanted to stifle it to get on to the next thing. So mm-hmm. bringing it back to balance, right? So that's when the divine feminine kind of rushes in. And I have to actually remember, okay, mm-hmm. no, no, no. There's a nurturance here too. How can I nurture mm-hmm. him? How can I grow him? Right. Mm-hmm. So it really yeah, is that balance. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's also, it's, it's created some of the most connected moments too, right? Obviously the peak of that is really tough to look back on, but it's, it's, it's broken both of us open. I've had the exact, it's funny. I had the exact same experience with my son where he was going, he was just going in and like inexplicably so, and I couldn't handle it anymore. And I responded, reacted the way that I did. And it ended with him just saying, I'm having a hard time. Mm, And I was like, mm -hmm. fuck man, me too, me too. Like, you know, and, and, and then feeling even more connected because we could look each other in the eyes and just say, oh, that's what it was. It wasn't you. It wasn't me. It was just this life. Yeah. I really respect organizations that exist out there for boys. Uh, We need more of those organizations, whether it's Boy Scouts or some other group. And I've certainly become familiar with a lot of them right now that are trying to provide those initiations and those quests for young boys. But I'm less interested in events as much as I'm interested in long-term mentorship, as you said, mentorship, not management, of, of our youth's time. That's really mm. interesting to me. And really, uh, whether it's creating something entirely new or remixing something that we've seen before, yeah, a, cu- a culture that we can pass on to our kids is really, to, to me, that's what I've identified as the lowest common denominator is what can we pass on to our kids that's going to allow them to be more successful? Not that we can protect them 
from experiencing these things, but giving them a better manual <laughs> or a better reference point for how to navigate it. Because I feel that's something that I didn't receive. Mm-hmm. And I don't blame my parents for it. I don't blame mm-hmm. culture at large for it. I just think that, well, that's that's the time that I was born into. And and, and here here's the opportunity now, as I see a different opportunity, a, a different path that we can take yeah. with the way we show up and the way that we create culture and family. Yeah. And it's like, it's so interesting because for instance, in Japan, there's this movement called the hikikomori of, of herbivore boys, they kind of call themselves. And what they are are shut-ins, right? They're shut-ins who depend on the food delivery and courier delivery for all of their resources. And they don't go outside for fear of the world at large. So mm-hmm. to me, you know, culture watchers sometimes look at Japan as examples for what will migrate West. And that's kind of scary to me that we're raising potentially young men who are terrified to set foot outside the, the famous French existential philosopher, Simone de Beauvoir, called that the lowest form of development, the animal, she called it, right? Scared to set foot outside of one's front door. And so we simply mm-hmm. eat our Cheetos on the couch. And, and that's kind of scary to me. Like, I, I would rather risk, I would rather try and fail than simply mm-hmm. subsist. Yeah, and I think that in order to access our full masculine power, full masculine potential, we have to encounter risk in our lives. We have to learn how to take it. And, and in fact, I think that's also a skill, much like being able to make and honor commitments and honor our word. I think risk-taking is a skill set that you develop, that you, mm-hmm. that you experience, and then you repeat over time. And if we're only taking risks in terms of, you know, messaging a girl on Tinder or, you know, putting a video out on YouTube, I don't think it actually connects us. It's, it's very artificial. Yes. It's very, it's, a, it's very artificial. It's not real. It doesn't have substance to it. It creates the same chemical process in our brain as going out and spending a night in, in the woods by yourself. Yeah. But it's, it doesn't land the same way. It kind of, it, it passes over us. And I don't really, I see a lot of people putting themselves out there in the world, which I think is awesome, but not really growing and evolving as an individual. Yeah. And, and I may be passing judgment on people, but that's just like my general assessment of this whole social media, online business, personal growth space is that we're not really getting the point. Yeah. Where we're masturbating in our minds, like you said. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Man, I, I feel like I want to like brag about my oldest son in this moment because a really cool thing happened. He is terrified of heights, has been since he was a little kid. Mm. And there is in the Northwest here a very large kind of lighthouse in a city called Astoria. And there, it's called the Astoria Column. It's very tall and a spiral staircase to get to the top. And then it overlooks, has a huge territorial view. And it's frightening. <laughs> and so we've gone up there several times. He has never gone up. And I remember very distinctly one time, the first time actually, we're all kind of traipsing up there. And I'm like, well, where is he? And I look down and he's literally on his hands and knees crawling, clinging to that spiral. He's so terrified. And so I walked Uh him back outside. I said, Hey, we don't have to do this. Well, now he's 14. And so we're over in that neck of the woods and he, I say, Hey, kind of jokingly, Hey, do you want to try that uh, story of column? And he looks at me and goes, I think I'm ready to try dad. Mm. And so what I then very simply did was I, I kind of aligned a series of exposure techniques where I just said, okay, So we're going to get in the door. What do you think you might experience when we get in the door? 
And he said, uh, I might be overwhelmed by the crowd. I said, perfect. What do you think you will need to get through being overwhelmed by the crowd? And then he told me. And then I said, okay, so what happens next? Okay, well, I'll start up the stairs. Yeah, well, what do you think that'll be like? Essentially, I talked him through every step of the way for what he could expect and then what skills he would need to get through that, that fearful thing. And mm -hmm. so we prepared it all. We get in and guess what? He did it every hmm. step of the way we get to the top he opens the door he sees the territorial view and he says dad this is great quick take the selfie and let's leave and, let's leave. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what we took the selfie and he bolted down and that was okay that was enough because he risked and next time he'll risk more right because yeah. now he knows he can't and that's what risk mm -hmm. is all about it's taking these measured steps it's building the confidence to take those leaps. That's how we yeah. all learn. Oh man, for, for real. And you bringing that story up, I it reminds me of my son. Cause he, I was not a risk taker as a child. Mm. I was, I was like very calculated, sure footed. He, he's not reckless in his risk taking, but he has, he's developed his, his level of risk taking over the, over the years. And he continues to do so. And I, I've seen him do, he, the other day we were climbing trees and he just straight up jumped off of like a five foot branch onto the ground. And he's not a big, he's not a big kid. And that's a big, that's a big height for anybody to jump off of. And I was like, Oh my God. Like it, it startled me. I was like, Oh my God. And he, he looked at me and was like, Oh, I'm okay. I was like, oh, yeah, you're good. Wow. Um, and I've also seen him on that edge of like, uh, I, I'm not ready to do it. And I'll be like, Oh, come on, you can do it. I, like what's, what's happened. What's, you know, and then, but I can see that there's a certain point where he like, self-manages that he's like no i'm not ready for it i'm taking myself out of the game and that's okay too yeah but it's when it's when we don't continue to raise the stakes in in a very physical way i think physical risk is really important not reckless risk they've actually done studies you probably know about this more than i do where boys who aren't allowed to risk get to you know they, they survive you know being under the wing of their parents all through teenage years then they get out into the world and then they overdose or they jump off of a balcony into a, into a swimming pool and die because they didn't take the, those steps in assessing, taking, and and learning from risk. Yeah, that's so true. And you know, it's interesting. Uh, his 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 mother and and I have different approaches on on risk. And you know, <laughs> her approach is very safety oriented. There's a lot of safetyism there, which is wonderful. She and and you know, I know they went to the story column and she she didn't say, well, do you want to go? Right. She, she accepted him. And that's wonderful. And so when I talk about like cutting away from the soft feminine, well, I think that's, that's what I mean, right? Like there's this part of the incestuous mommy's little man, Nana's helper, still being a follower that does need to be cut away both in boys and then men. I think one of the ways I see it showing up in men and in men's work like we do is that there's still, I think, especially for men who are recovering from that softness, they just want a dummies guide, like a dummies guide mm -hmm. approach to just learning a new set of rules. Okay, what's the manhood? Shortcut, the silver bullet, yeah. Yeah, like it, it's chopping it with an ax, it's it's listening to these certain podcasts, right? It's simple, it's step-by-step, step. it's just more uh -huh. painting by numbers. It's like, yeah. <laughs> ditch that approach. <laughs> That's just playing by yeah. the rules. Yeah, man. Well, it's you definitely have, you, we were definitely cut from the same cloth. Even though I can't grow a nice beard like you at this point <laughs> in my life, I, <laughs> we're definitely seeing things through a similar scope. And that's that's also really encouraging for me to see there's other men out there who have had this discovery. And again, I, I also don't preach that my way is the way, 
Although I do at this point in my life realize that there is a lot of benefit to getting yourself out into the wilderness, to accessing some of these more wild components of ourselves so that we can balance that with all this amazing intellect and technology that we have. Like what would the world look like if we combined our instincts with technology in a way that was sustainable for the planet? Like those, those are like the utopian Atlantean worlds that we, we, we pay 15 bucks a ticket to go see in the movies. Yeah, that's right. Oh, that's so good. Mm-hmm. You know, I think culturally, because we're, we're told not to trust ourselves anymore, part of what I try and do with men in this process, I, I call initiation, but it, it's really just derivative of that process, is, is really that cutting away of those outer layers and deconditioning us so that we can start that process of renewing that's kind of like a soul initiation. And and I recognize it has a lot of those historic tribal initiation elements, that kind of hero's journey elements. But I think more than that, it's about meeting men where they are today, which is totally isolated, often totally alone. So we just start there. And part of, you know, the work that I do is really trying to build a man to trust himself because I want him to get to a place where he lives without hope, without fear, and is truly free. And it's from that place where he identifies his essential self, and he's free to live out that purpose and that gift to the world. He's free to find tribe and, and be trusted by the tribe. And I think that's so much of, of my focus. And, and what I, I love that, you know, the message that you're giving and, and the others, I think, like us in this work are doing too. I think it's so important, and, and I hope it just continues to blow up. Yeah, man. Hundred percent, yeah, and I, I'm, I, there's plenty of things I'm sure we could talk about and go into. We'll just have to double back. I know. A, we're gonna we got to set up, so I'm gonna come and jump on into yes. your space next week. So that'll be exciting, and definitely further down the road. I look forward to bringing you back on here, and I'm sure there'll be many other conversations in between the lines for us to have. Awesome. Well, hey, I would just say to your listeners, if they're interested in more of the work, just joining me in the journey, go to evolvingwild.live. There's a really cool extension if you go to evolvingwild.live. 10 day challenge. That's one zero day challenge. It's a free 10 day challenge and self-initiation. Go to that. I bring a lot of tools to bear in that. It's a good price, just your whole soul. And uh, (laughs) and we go forward reclaiming that wild sense. So go to evolvingwild.live for more. Awesome, man. And and what's the the IG tag? Is it at Evolving evolving Wild? Is there an underscore in there? uh, It's evolving underscore wild. Evolving underscore wild. Good. So we'll make sure that's in the show notes. You skipped to my last question. I've got a couple more for you before you go. (laughs) So we took care of that. All good, man. (laughs) I I got a couple of quick lightning style questions for you before we wrap up. So let's hit it. First one, what is one thing that you've learned in your life you wish you knew back when you were 18 years old? One thing I learned in my life that I wish I knew when I was 18 years old, oh, to trust myself, to trust myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was constantly awesome. eroding that sense of trust. Mm-hmm. Likewise, man. And what do you think is the most important value to have as a man? <sighs> oh, that's such a good question. Um, will. Will. Will, which you can call it resilience, you can call it grit, you can call it power. But I think what it really is, is the ability to intend something and see it through. Mm-hmm. Will. Awesome, man. And you already took care of the last one. Is there any other links, resources that you want to point guys to or everything's through your through your website and your IG? I think if, if they go to evolvingwild.live, they get all the goods. Boom. 
Awesome, man. Cool. Well, <laughs> I, I really look forward to jumping in and playing in your space and speaking to your guys out there and, and also just gathering more of us together so that we can really yeah. create a culture that lasts. Because for you to just do it by yourself, for me to do it by myself, for any man out there who is leading in this capacity to do it alone, it's it's not sustainable. It's not, it's not something that's going to really last. So being able to link arms together and be a stand for this reclaiming of our wildness and and doing it in a sustainable way, I think, is is really great, man. So and to have another man as an ally, it feels really good to me. Thanks so much for having me on, brother. Can't wait for you to be on Last Man Standing. Yes, man. Let's do it. All right. Talk to you later. There it is. What a powerful conversation with my man, Rainier. So many overlaps in belief systems and ways of approaching being the men that we want to be. I really enjoyed this conversation with Rainier. It was really good to just drop into some vulnerability in, in the humanity of being a father. That was, that's been a really hard thing for me to appreciate that I'm learning how to be a father <laughs> while I'm serving in this role of dad to my son and now my daughter. So it was really good to be transparent about that and to stir up this conversation about how we can relate in a more masculine way in our lives and, and also what the value of that is because it is so comfortable and so easy to lean into a more feminine space. So many of us men have done that, myself included. It's more challenging to live and lead a masculine life and yet the rewards are so much greater and the people around us feel safer and they can lean on the power of that masculine. So we've got to discover and identify what that is and then really choose to be more masculine in our lives. So I hope you guys got a lot of value out of this episode. Make sure you shoot us up with some messages. Let us know what you got from this episode in particular. Make sure you give Rainier a follow because he's a good dude doing big things out there. As always, guys, make sure you mark this date in your calendar. Our next Rising Man Fire Circle will be July 13th from 3 to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I'm working on getting a European Fire Circle together. So if any of you guys are listening to this and you're like, yes, I want to be a part of the Fire Circles, but the times just don't work for me in my time zone, hit me up with a message because we've almost got a full crew together to get that started. So quick reminder on that check out the show notes for links and resources at the risingmanpodcast.com my man julian subic putting that up for you each and every week please subscribe and follow us on the podcast app of your choice and really take this to heart guys please take the time to leave us a rating leave us a review especially if you're listening on itunes because number one it really helps the podcast grow and rise in the charts so that more people can see what The Rising Man is all about. Number two, it also gives us access to a different pool of guests to come on the show. There's a lot of people out there that I've reached out to that said, hey, once you hit X number of ratings, X number of reviews, etc., then I'll be on your show. And there's some great people out there that they're just, they're, they've got their own filters for how they make the time for us. So support the show, bringing on greater diversity and class of guests onto the show by leaving those ratings and reviews. Really appreciate that support. If you don't listen on iTunes, you can always drop a review at therisingmanpodcast.com or wherever else you listen to the podcast. Check us out on Instagram at risingmanpodcast. Rowan Tyne, my man, hooking up the Instagram every single week with those images and those sound bites that get, they're just so good, so good and so potent. Make sure you guys are sharing those up. And if you don't already, follow us because, uh, that also is very helpful for what we're doing here. My man, Sean Offenbach over at Infinite Melodics, the man who is taking care of these recordings, making them sound professional, making them sound crisp and squeaky clean each and every week. Thank you, Sean, for what you do. Shout out to Mark Rose, also our maestro of the fire circles, my secondhand man holding it down in there. Appreciate everything you do. For those of you guys who get signed up with the fire circle, Mark will be reaching out to you right away to get you on board. And for everybody else out there, 
appreciate y'all. Make sure you have a wonderful week, a wonderful weekend, wherever you're listening to this. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.